it's been more than a year since a cruise ship sailed from the United States with paying passengers. So when does Royal Caribbean International hope to be able to shove off from South Florida ports again? I think that day is going to be sooner than many people may think. I think that day is going to be this summer. I'm Tom Hudson. Today on the Sunshine Economy, here from the CEO of Royal Caribbean International. Also on today's program, patience and profits for a baker and cleaner as the pandemic economy recovers. We're going into this transition of leadership and putting the basis and the foundation of different things for the growth. And it's been harder than I thought. Oh, it feels exciting and really, really happy. Uh, I haven't been this busy since uh, pre-COVID. <laughs> it's all ahead after the news. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. Airline middle seats are available. Hotels are booked. Restaurants and nightclubs have reopened. But cruise ships remain empty. Cruise lines were the first and remain the last major industry that is banned from doing business because of COVID-19 in the United States. Cruise ship operators first volunteered to stop sailing on March 13, 2020, and the Centers for Disease Control stepped in one day later, banning cruise ships from sailing from U.S. ports. The ships have remained empty of passengers since. That's 400 days and counting of empty staterooms, quiet pool decks, and no excursions. The cruise industry was an early source of the pandemic. In mid-February of last year, the largest COVID-19 outbreak outside of China was on the Diamond Princess ship anchored off Yokohama, Japan, after a cruise. Almost one in five people on board wound up infected with the virus. Thirteen people died. The Grand Princess was quarantined off the coast of California in March of 2020 before eventually docking in Oakland, and passengers and crew remained in quarantine on shore for two weeks. The CDC found over six weeks in February and March of last year, about 200 COVID-19 cases were from cruise ship travelers returning to the United States. In those early days, that was almost 20% of reported cases throughout the country. Then the agency stopped the sailing. That ban officially lasted for eight months. Then in late October, the CDC issued a framework for conditional sailing order, laying out what it called, quote, a phased approach to resuming cruise ship passenger operations in U.S. waters, end quote. The rules include testing for crew and passengers, agreements with local health care facilities, quarantine plans, and other safety protocols. But six months later, after that conditional sailing order, no cruise ship has sailed from a U.S. port with paying passengers. This week, two years ago, 19 cruises were scheduled to Port Miami. Another 13 were sailing in and out of Port Everglades in Fort Lauderdale. Passengers and crew on board and all those cruises two years ago would have topped 100,000 people. South Florida was home to two of the busiest cruise passenger ports before the pandemic and expects the business to return when the ships set sail again. So the multi-billion dollar question is, when? I think that day is going to be sooner than many people may think. I think that day is going to be this summer. That's Michael Bailey. 
He's the CEO of Royal Caribbean International. It's the largest brand under the Royal Caribbean Cruises corporate umbrella. It has four of the five largest cruise passenger ships in the world in its fleet, and two of those big ships usually would be sailing in and out of South Florida. Royal Caribbean International and others are sailing, just not from American ports. The operator has canceled its U.S.-based cruises through the end of June and has scheduled a trip from the Bahamas in late June. We spoke with Bailey last week about the return to sailing in U.S. waters. It's a forever moving landscape, and I'm sure people can fully appreciate that. We have, over the past several weeks, announced sailings commencing in um, late May, June, around the world. And we've been operating out of uh, Asia, Singapore, since December of last year. We're also encouraged by very positive messaging and communication now that we've received from the CDC that we've started to engage in, uh, I would call them substantial dialogue about the conditional sale order and about the words that they shared with us and publicly that they, they you know, hope and intend that we'll be resuming cruising in, in some shape in, in the summer. So I'm not going to say it's one day at a time, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a complex situation that we're all dealing with. Certainly, it's looking as each day and week passes more and more optimistic for the future. So we feel pretty good about how this is going to work out. The timing is always the great uncertainty. What are some of the characteristics of the optimism that you have that you'll be able to restart cruises from the United States sometime this summer, as soon as July? I think everybody would would agree that the biggest source of optimism is the amazing success of the rollout of the of the vaccines. I've now received both of my uh, shots, my Moderna shots, uh, my second one last week through, you know, just through going to Publix. You know, you can see and feel that this is changing the whole dynamics of the situation. There's, there's concerns out there, of course, but I think the United States has done a, a really amazing job in rolling out the vaccines. That over 80% of, of Royal Caribbean customers have told us they've either already become vaccinated or they're planning on uh, getting vaccinated. So it's very positive. I think that's probably the one of the key points of optimism is that there's a distance to go. But I think most most optimistic people would say this is really transforming the, the whole situation. How close is Royal Caribbean to fulfilling the CDC conditional sailing order requirements? The conditional sailing order requirements are complicated. Um, we have issue and concerns over some of these um, requirements. We're now fortunate that the CDC is engaging with the industry in proactive discussion and dialogue over, over all of these requirements. So there's work to be done. I think as, as, as the next few weeks pass, we should be able to get ourselves into a good position. I want to ask you about some of the specific requirements of the conditional sailing order. You mentioned, though, some issues and concerns with some of the requirements, and you mentioned that you're now encouraged by having a dialogue with the CDC. Had that not been the case previous? 
we had had dialogue. We 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 had dialogue with the CDC. I would say the 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 kind of dialogue that we were having was more at a, a kind of a leadership level, more of a an executive dialogue and staying in touch and and talking about the various issues. The details of the technical specifications was something that was was kind of communicated to us without any dialogue, and I think that is the opportunity for us to work together in a way that allows the industry to talk about the practicalities of some of the ideas or some of the guidelines that have been put forward by the CDC. Very quickly into this pandemic, we formed the Healthy Sale Panel with some of the world's top experts in public health and who really helped guide our company towards guidelines and protocols that were regarded well by the CDC. And in fact, they made comments about how pleased they were with those guidelines. We have been operating outside of the United States since late summer last year as part of the Royal Caribbean Group with our one of our European brands, Tui Cruises. And Royal Caribbean itself has, has been operating out of Singapore in, in Asia since December using these protocols and and operating very successfully. In fact, we've carried over 100,000 guests on our ships since the late summer last year, and we've managed the situation as it relates to COVID exceptionally well using the protocols from the Healthy Cell Panel, which includes testing, etc. So I think, you know, with regards to the CDC conditional sale order, now that we've started to enter into this meaningful discussion, I think we're going to we're going to quickly move through and operationalize many of these requests. Requests or requirements? Um, they are requirements. Um, give you one example. You know, if you look at one of those requirements, for example, this idea of having facilities for quarantine for infected guests or crew. One of the requirements was that every single room that would accommodate people would have its own single unit AC system. If you think about all of the hotels around the world, that's really something that doesn't exist. It's, it's very impractical. You know, the other component of that is that for a big percentage of crews, particularly, for example, out of Florida, our home state, a lot of that is what we call the short product, the three and fortnight cruises to for Royal Perfect Day, the Bahamas, et cetera. The vast majority of our customers are simply driving from Florida to the port to join a ship. So why would you need to quarantine someone who who may have become infected when they can simply get in their car and go home and quarantine themselves? So there's a lot of these little details and nuances that need to be resolved, which we're working through. The other concern that we have is just how disparate the the focus is for example on cruise versus other forms of travel and if you look at air travel for example just in the month of january in one airport in the united states and i'll i'll use atlanta as an example which is the you know home city of the cdc just in the month of january close to 300,000 travelers arrived into the atlanta international terminal from countries all over the world, including flight crew. 
And the only requirement for all of those travelers entering into the United States into Atlanta airport was to have a test not defined as either a PCR or antigen, a test up to 72 hours before they boarded the flight. Many of those flights are 8, 10, 11 hour long from uh, other parts of the world. So, you know, there's this juxtaposition that does need some kind of resolution. Michael, do you feel that the cruise industry somehow has been singled out and is being targeted because of past illnesses, past viral or bacterial breakouts on individual ships? You know, I don't think I would ever say we're being we're being targeted or singled out. I think this has been an enormously complex, you know, huge challenge for society. I think it's been genuinely devastating to so many people. I think we need to work together. I think we need to pull together. And I think we're, you know, as an industry, certainly as a company, we're trying our absolute best to be part of the solution. I I think in the beginning of this, there was almost no knowledge or information. And particularly for the cruise industry, in the beginning, we, we had, there was no guidance. There was no knowledge. There was no information. There was, there was nothing that could be shared with travel generally and with the cruise industry from health authorities because nobody seemed to know exactly what was, what was happening. I don't feel like we've been singled out. I do think that there's an opportunity, certainly with everything that we've learned over the past year, particularly with the successful operations in other parts of the world, to learn and to share that learning and to get ourselves back into business. Michael, let me ask about some specifics on the requirements from the Centers for Disease Control conditional uh, sailing order. Uh, Establish lab tests and testing for crews onboard ships in U.S. waters for weekly testing. How goes that set up at Royal Caribbean? That's fine. I mean, that's something that we've been working on. We've established that. We have testing capability on all of our ships. If, If you look at the CSO, for example. That's the conditional sailing order, CSO. Yeah, the conditional sailing order. We, Royal Caribbean, and and many of our competitor cruise companies have many ships underneath this umbrella of the conditional sailing order. There are rigorous uh, protocols in place for for testing, et cetera, for, for our crew. You can go on the CDC website and look at the color coding system on how all of those ships and these fleets are doing. And uh, you'll see that, for example, for Royal Caribbean, where all of our ships are green, which means they're COVID-free, they're working to all of the protocols, testing is taking place. We have regular reporting on uh, crew illness, et cetera, to the CDC. And everything's operating very well, very smoothly. Would you consider that requirement fulfilled right now on part of Royal Caribbean? Yeah, I, we we do feel that way, and that's correct, yeah. Uh, another requirement for simulated cruises to uh, begin would be to test those ship protocols, including testing all passengers and crew on the day of embarkation and the day of return. How goes work toward that requirement? Yeah, we, obviously we're working towards that. One of the questions we have, of course, is a lot of the thinking behind the conditional sale order was before vaccines. 
So vaccines have really transformed this landscape. And I think if you look at the requirements now for travel with vaccine, they're obviously different from uh, if you're not vaccinated. The same, I think, is going to be true for the trial sailings. But yes, if you sail on one of our ships with the trial sailings, if the trial sailings proceed as currently thought they would, then there would be a requirement to test before you sail and then a test when you, either when you get off or when you when you get back. Are you saying with vaccinations that if passengers or crew were vaccinated during these test cruises, they may not have to be tested before they get on board or after? It, it really depends. Um, I think for the trial sailings, we probably will, um, because the whole purpose of the trial sailing, of course, is to gather data and to understand all of the dynamics. So I think for the trial sailings, in all probability, vaccinated or not, there will be a, a test uh, before you board the ship. So typically, you know, 72 hours before you, you board the ship, and then when you debark the ship. One of the newest requirements is to have medical care agreements between cruise operators and local healthcare facilities and local healthcare agencies. What can you share with us between Royal Caribbean and health officials here in South Florida and specific health facilities that uh, operate here in Miami-Dade and, and Broward counties? I'm not sure if I want to go into any of the details of the plans that we've created to meet these obligations. Well, without the specifics, Michael, and I understand, are there agreements in place? There, there are agreements that are being discussed literally as we speak with various health authorities, et cetera. So that whole process is underway. We don't regard that as problematic, and it's certainly not regarded as problematic now with the vaccines. That's Michael Bailey. He's the CEO of Royal Caribbean International. Now, our conversation continues about the return of the cruise industry and what he thinks of legal efforts like banning so-called vaccine passports and the state of Florida suing the CDC over its cruise ship rules. That part of our interview is still to come. There's a lot of anxiety from all kinds of people who've been very negatively impacted by the shutdown. I think a lot of that anxiety is now being articulated in all kinds of ways. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks again for listening. The travel industry is vital to South Florida's pandemic economic recovery. The jobs and tax and fee revenue help fuel the regional economy. While the number of arriving passengers at South Florida airports in February was only about half the number a year earlier, air traffic has been picking up. Passenger cruise traffic remains at a standstill. A week ago, cruise industry leaders met with the White House COVID response team in the effort to restart cruising from U.S. ports. South Florida-based cruise operators were part of that meeting. It was the latest in several efforts, some collaborative, others confrontational, to have cruises set sail again from U.S. waters. They include Florida's two U.S. senators filing a bill that would cancel the CDC's conditional sale order and push to get the industry cruising again by July 4th. 
Governor Ron DeSantis has sued the Centers for Disease Control over its phased approach to allow passengers to return to cruise ships. And a few days before filing that lawsuit, the governor issued an executive order banning businesses from requiring vaccine passports or any vaccine certification from customers. At least two cruise lines have said they will require adult passengers and crews to be vaccinated. The two operators, Norwegian Cruise Line and Silver Sea, which is part of Royal Caribbean Group, are not restarting their cruises from American ports, though. So a showdown between cruise lines requiring vaccinations and the state of Florida will have to wait. We spoke with Michael Bailey, CEO of Royal Caribbean International, about these efforts toward returning to sailing from South Florida. Some of your colleagues in the cruise industry have stated that as they restart cruises in uh, the Caribbean, they will require vaccinations. Is it under any consideration at Royal Caribbean that you will require vaccinations from North America cruising generally or even more specifically cruising from the United States when that begins again? No, we will be having some cruises out of the Caribbean, which will require vaccines for the guests and the crew. I think where we're going to end up in the United States is this this combination of, from what we've seen from the data from our customers, 80% um, of our customers are perfectly happy getting vaccinated. And in fact, over... 65% of all of the customers who booked cruises with Royal Caribbean since January have told us, yep, we're fully vaccinated. We're ready to go. So I think, I think, you know, under the 80, 20 rule, um, I think that's probably how it'll be. 80% of people are going to get vaccinated and perfectly comfortable with it, have no issues with it. And I think 20% of, you know, our customers for whatever reason do not want to get vaccinated. It could be, you know, religious, health, beliefs, whatever the reason. And, you know, we're going to respect that. The governor in Florida issued an executive order uh, essentially prohibiting any group that utilizes state funding from requiring a vaccine passport or vaccine verification. Royal Caribbean being a uh, private company, publicly traded private company, but uses government assets in the form of Port Miami, Port Everglades, and elsewhere. Did the governor's executive order play into the considerations of whether or not to require passengers boarding Royal Caribbean ships in the United States in the future to be vaccinated or not? I think the governor's declaration, the the timing of that coincided with what we're seeing from our customers. Again, 80% of our customers for Royal Caribbean tell us, hey, Either I'm vaccinated or I'm getting vaccinated and I'm all good with that. And we know there's a percentage of customers who've told us, they've emailed us, they've told our call center folks, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I don't want to get vaccinated. And I, and I don't want you trying to insist that I do. So I think ultimately this is where society is heading. You know, a large percentage of people will, a percentage won't. And we're all going to have to live together. Michael, does Royal Caribbean support the lawsuit filed recently by Governor Ron DeSantis against the Centers for Disease Control regarding the conditional sailing order? You know, our position as a cruise company is, look, it's been a long, um, it's been a long time. Things are beginning to change. 
there's a lot more optimism about the future. I think what we've seen is we've seen senators and Congress people from Puerto Rico, from Texas, Florida, from Alaska, um, from various states, uh, writing either to the president or, or to the administration or to the CDC, asking for a a more open dialogue and a, and a solution that can get cruising back in the summer. So we're obviously supportive of all of that support that's shown to the cruise industry. There's 150,000 plus travel agents in the United States. There's tens of thousands of travel agents in the state of Florida. Many of those travel agents have had very little income over the past year. There are longshoremen, ports, bus drivers, truck drivers. Just in Florida alone, there's over 100,000 people employed and their families through the cruise industry. You know, it's a significant contributor to the Florida economy. It's a meaningful employer. It's 60% of all of the crews in the United States of the 14 million people who cruise every year come through Florida. Yeah. And these were all reasons the governor cited in taking the legal action in filing the lawsuit against the Centers for Disease Control. What do you make of that strategy going to court to try to force the federal agency to lift the conditional sale order? Well, again, I think I think there's there's just a lot of um, that there's a lot of anxiety from all kinds of people who've been very negatively impacted by the shutdown. And I think a lot of that anxiety is now being articulated in all kinds of ways, uh, including lawsuits. So it's part of the American fabric. It's, it's America. And if the governor of our state chooses to litigate against the, the CDC and the Department of Health and Human Services, then that's obviously his decision as the governor of our state. You know, I think at the end of the day, it, it's it, it's the it's very much the American way. I mean, you know, we, <laughs> it's we, a very diplomatic answer. Michael. Well, I mean, we we you know, it's what makes America. Let let me try it uh, this way. One of the central arguments in the governor's lawsuit is that the Centers for Disease Control does not have the authority to have this kind of regulation over the cruise industry. Do you think the Centers for Disease Control has the authority to put into place the conditional sale order, which has been in place for so many months now? Well, I think a way of looking at it is, look, here's the Center for Disease Control, and here is this massive threat to society, and here's this pandemic. We look to the CDC to protect us. If you read the mandate of the CDC, you know, one of their key missions is to protect us and to stop the spread of disease. If one of the many ways they can do that is to issue a no sale order, then that's doing the right thing. With the support of the CDC, let's get back to business. Let's start sailing again. Let's start delivering great vacations and let's get the hundred and something thousand jobs back up and running that thousands upon thousands of small businesses 
in South Florida, throughout Florida, that are completely dependent on this industry. Let's get back to work again. Let's, let's, let's get it all running. Speaking with Royal Caribbean International CEO Michael Bailey. Now, our interview continues, still to come, the expected bounce back in business. We think there's a huge amount of pent-up demand that's ready to go on vacation. When we look at our forward bookings, particularly into 2022, we're very encouraged by what we're seeing. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting Public Radio. Publicly traded companies in the United States have to release their financial performances four times a year for investors. The shorthand for this is usually referred to as a company's earnings report, only that phrase presumes a company has earnings, that it's profitable. The last time one of the big South Florida cruise line operators reported a profit was from late 2019, the last quarter before COVID-19 swept across the globe and closed down cruising. More than a year later, they still have not returned to sailing in U.S. waters, but they continue selling cruises and people have been buying. Royal Caribbean collected $34 million in revenue in the final three months of last year, That's a far cry from the $2.5 billion in revenue it generated in the last quarter before the pandemic, though. The company's Royal Caribbean International Division has been sailing one ship out of Singapore since December, and another ship will start sailing out of Israel in early June. Two of the ships are scheduled to sail in the Caribbean in June, marking a return of Royal Caribbean International to the Caribbean Sea. The company began taking bookings in late March, and CEO Michael Bailey described the initial sales this way when we spoke with him last week. Extremely well. We were delighted with the the first week, and when we look at the sales overall, they've been they've been very very strong, and there's clearly demand. More interestingly, we firmly believe, and I think if you talk to other travel related businesses, people have been, including myself. We've all been stuck either in our homes or somewhere. Not many people had a great vacation last summer. All of our travel plans were put on hold. We know that in this in the United States that the you know the amount of savings has gone up quite dramatically. Credit card debt has declined. We think there's a huge amount of pent-up demand that's ready to go on vacation. When we look at our forward bookings, particularly into 2022, we're very encouraged by what we're seeing. I'm not sure how exactly this will all transform, whether it'll be slowly and suddenly, or it's going to be suddenly. But certainly people are uh, making decisions based upon what they're seeing around them. And uh, you can see that I have a feeling 2022 is going to be a, a big bumper year for travel. A, a bumper crop of travelers expected to come in in 2022. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to are going to travel. Yeah. In February, during the quarterly results uh, conference call, the company mentioned that pricing for bookings into 2022 is higher than pre-pandemic in 2019. To what do you attribute that pricing power to? When you look at the universe of people who cruise, there is a huge population of cruisers who 
absolutely love cruising and miss it desperately. I mean, I get these emails and letters from people all the time telling me how they miss cruising. You've got that big group of people who are just really looking forward to going back to a cruise and they are booking cruises and you've just got this huge population of people who've who typically often there's a cycle of cruising as well there's groups people cruise one year then they next year they do something else then they cruise again and we've kind of disrupted that cycle so we think there's just this pent-up demand that's coming and that's one of the reasons why we see robust pricing is there's just a lot of demand as you have sensed and see in your bookings a lot of interest how have you approached pricing in order to maintain revenue levels uh, where you would like to see them when you're able to cruise again in the United States versus creating an environment where you want to reassure your cruising core audience that it is safe and sound and secure and a good value? As it relates to pricing uh, discipline, revenue management is the insider term that's used in the cruise industry. And revenue management is probably like many complex topics, is a large amount of science and an equally large amount of art. I don't know which is the cleverest side of that equation, but we have a lot of technology, a lot of data analytics, a lot of data history. We have a fair degree of sophistication in terms of how we price and revenue manage our products and our brands. And that's built up over many decades. Certainly when we're in an uncertain situation as we have been, then I think the art comes into it probably to a higher degree. Part of it is is really, I'm going to use the words reading the market and, and and understanding how customers are feeling. Since March of last year, we've conducted every single month surveys of consumers and customers, loyal customers, new customers, to try and understand how people are thinking and seeing. I guess at the end of the day, when I think about it now, it's all pretty obvious. But the optimism with consumers and customers is each month now is is increasing quite dramatically when people start telling you that they're feeling pretty optimistic about the future, when people start saying they feel the worst is behind us, when people start saying that they're really looking forward to taking a vacation, you know, you can start to calculate what kind of demand you can expect. And, and demand for cruise does follow a, a cycle as it relates to how customers view the product or the brand as it relates to safety, health, and protocols. The other great attribute of our company and of our brands is good old-fashioned trust. Michael, when you look at the bookings and the optimism that you have for the bookings in 2022 particularly, what do those look like between new reservations or rebooked reservations, reservations that were canceled uh, because of the pandemic? So we've been extremely pleased by the pace of new bookings, which have significantly outweighed the bookings that are rolling forward from cancellations. We're quite encouraged by, by what we see. And we're also 
kind of happy that we have a, a large number of customers who booked with us and sadly their cruises were cancelled um, but they're they're waiting and they're deciding which cruise they're going to uh, go on with us so you know the environment is 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 positive from that perspective both both for new bookings and for customers who are who've either committed to another sailing or who are kind of sitting on the sidelines thinking, well, I'll wait another few weeks and, and I'll make my uh, decisions. And all of those bookings, for me, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, that's going to bring back the work, the small businesses in Florida, the travel agents, the florists, the trucks, the stevedores, the longshoremen, the ports, the hotels, restaurants. And it looks like we're going to get back on our feet and, do what we love to do. Royal Caribbean International CEO Michael Bailey. Now, one port of call in South Florida that is not eager for big cruise ships to come calling again is Key West. Voters passed referenda banning large ships and limiting passenger visits. Those bans are under scrutiny with state lawmakers. That part of our interview with the Royal Caribbean International CEO is still to come. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks again for listening this week. I'm Tom Hudson. No cruise ship has sailed in U.S. waters since March of last year. The Centers for Disease Control banned cruising for months and now has a framework of rules cruise lines must fulfill before setting sail again. The last time a cruise ship docked for a few hours in Key West was 13 months ago and counting. And voters approved measures in November that will keep big ships from returning and limit the number of people who can come ashore from cruise ships each day. But state lawmakers are considering a bill that would overturn those measures. I asked Royal Caribbean International CEO Michael Bailey about the effort. Do you support the legislation that is pending now in Tallahassee that would overturn the Key West referenda uh, rules on cruise ships at that port? There's a lot of different communities where groups have a particular perspective and and I think the community needs to to come together and go through a democratic process to decide how they're going to handle those those perspectives. Do you think Key West did that? I I think that it went through a process and I, I, I believe that, you know, the thing about these processes is that sometimes they work in your favor if you have a particular dimensional view of it. And sometimes it doesn't, but it doesn't always stop with one process. There's other processes, obviously. So I think that the community, you know, if they have a particular view on something, they're more than entitled to bring that view to fruition. But, it, you know, I, I think what's happening is, is it's in a process and I don't think it's, it's complete. And I think there are other perspectives that also need to be heard. It's not that I support or don't support. I think we'll have to wait and see how that process continues and and where it does ultimately um, end up. One of the limitations that was approved by voters would prohibit ships that carry more than 1,300 people from docking at Key West. Does Royal Caribbean have ships that meet that limitation if the prohibition remains in place? We have ships that uh, fall under that, that limit. For Royal Caribbean International, we do not. Most of our ships are the, are the bigger ships. 
within the group, we do have ships that would be able to sail into Key West. Would they have to be repositioned from other itineraries if, again, this prohibition remains in place? Well, it really depends. I mean, every there's a lot of ports in the world and there's a lot of ports in the yes, Caribbean. Indeed. I mean, let, let's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I think um, we go where we're welcome. With the debate and uncertainty around Key West, I know that there is still Royal Caribbean itineraries online available that include Key West as part of the the sailing trip. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, again, this process is underway. We'll have to see how it ultimately ends up. And a lot of our sailings, uh, typically, um, if you look at all of the itineraries that we offer globally every single year, it, it runs into the thousands upon thousands of different itineraries. And a very small percentage of those itineraries are adjusted for all kinds of operational reasons over the period of time. So we'll be cognizant of, of watching how this process plays out. And if adjustments need to be made, then we'll make them and communicate with our customers those, those changes. Speaking with Michael Bailey, the CEO of Royal Caribbean International. Still to come on the program, catching up this week with a baker and cleaner as they work to expand their businesses amid the pandemic economic recovery. We're going into this transition of leadership and putting the basis and the foundation of different things for the growth. And it's been harder than I thought. Oh, it feels exciting and really, really happy. Uh, I haven't been this busy since uh, (laughs) pre-COVID. We're back on the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting public radio. Employment, confidence, and average hourly wages are all increasing in South Florida. The economic data finds the local economy is recovering from the COVID-19-induced recession a year ago. It was sharp and deep. Now, this is not to say the rebound has reached all corners of South Florida. Pilar Guzman Zavala has had a tough time finding workers, she owns and runs Half Moon Empanadas. She's one of the businesswomen we've been talking with most weeks on the program for months to hear how they're navigating their companies through the pandemic recovery. Now, this year, she has been working to open two new stores, one at Jackson Health in Miami. That one has opened. The second in Pembroke Pines has not. She was certain it was finally going to open last week, but... <laughs> I'm only going to laugh this time because it it was the week, but it wasn't. (laughs) I had my production manager resign uh, this week. So it kind of put us in a place where we are looking for a production manager. And it's one of the most important positions of the company because he handles, you know, half of the company, you know, the production uh, place. And we are going into this transition. We hire a VP of operations. And so I think the team is still adjusting to the changes and the new leadership. My time has been invested a lot in managing that transition, you know, talking to the VP and understanding the changes and understanding how that affects each of the people. Uh, We have moved people from positions because... There were things that we needed to change. And so if we talk big picture as to why I'm not able to open Pembroke Pines, 
we're going into this transition of like leadership and and putting the basis and the foundation of different things for the growth and it's been harder than i thought and it's been uh more difficult so i was having you know a conversation with my husband about you know i'm so frustrated that we cannot get this store open you know i would have opened it you know in my previous leadership like we would have opened it in two days like yesterday but he said you know what that's that's why we're not doing that anymore because we're building the blocks for actually having 50 stores not only two right i guess i have to learn to pause and that's been very difficult so we're not there yet we're not open in pembroke pines yet uh hopefully one of these calls i'm going to tell you we're open <laughs> I have not been in a very uh, good humor these days. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm also human. I feel the stress, you know, I feel that I have a responsibility for the growth, but also for how each of my team members feel about these, these changes and these growth. And that puts, and maybe it's bad, you know, maybe I need to learn to kind of be a little bit less empathetic <laughs> but I am that's who I am and so that puts a lot of pressure and it, it doesn't do me good personally it's been hard I was just sharing with my son you know I was on the way to soccer with him and I was in a bad mood and I tried to explain to him listen it has nothing to do with you I just look at my phone and I had him count the calls that I had he counted 40 calls in you know in the day plus the three Zoom meetings I had plus a Jackson memorial meeting and I was telling my husband, it's like, it's impossible to be in a good mood. You know, it's it's just not human. So I am struggling too. You know, I'm going through that process of, okay, you know, let's, let's pause, which is hard already. But at the same time, let's try to do as much as possible to, to help the transition. So it's hard. It's not easy. I, I honestly, and it's funny because you have to go through the pain in order to learn. That's what it is. You have to go to like, okay, I'm not able to open Pembroke Pines. You know, this person resigned because there is changes and they don't like it. You have to go through it to get to the other side. So, you know, I still keep my hope and, and, and I am excited about the growth. And I think that is what keeps me going. Like, okay, we're going there. It's It's painful right now, but I have a clear goal and I have a clear vision. And I think... That's what keeps me going. That's Pilar Guzman Zavala with Half Moon Empanadas. Sherry Rudolph owns and runs Legally Clean. It's a janitorial services company based in Lauder Hill. Her business has turned around quickly this spring and is picking up speed. This last week has been great. Uh, the calendar ended up looking really good and even twice as good for next week. I'm booked every day next week. Things are going really well. Two of the jobs are major construction cleaning jobs, which is uh, very profitable. So we'll take a crew of at least four and um, be there at least uh, six to eight hours. So they're pretty big um, opportunities. And one or two of them may even require two days of work. It's changed drastically. A month ago, uh, maybe we're getting one invitation to, quote, maybe once a week or once every other week. But now, I mean, it's that my phone is ringing all day, every day. I don't have any jobs that are small jobs. They're all large jobs and I do have the staff to accommodate them. Oh, it feels exciting and really, really happy. Uh, I haven't been this busy since uh, pre-COVID. <laughs> I am writing proposals 
or quotes uh, at least once a day, uh, making 10 phone calls a day, that has really helped a lot. And then also just doing, being more active in terms of following up and re-engaging with former customers. One of the things that kind of saved us was that we were doing disinfecting services, which resulted in us creating more revenue, but not like before pre-COVID. However, I'm a pretty optimistic person, and I just knew that as we maneuvered through this uh, COVID-19, that we would come up on the other side with a positive outcome. It's been a rocky road, but, you know, um, you just have to be persistent, stick with it, and channel your energies into new areas that maybe you hadn't explored before, or maybe start doing something that you don't really like, you know, like, like cold calling but you know you find it necessary in order to maintain and also letting people know what you do. I let everybody know what I do. <laughs> you know, if I'm in the grocery store, I let people know that you know I own a cleaning service. If I'm at a gas station, you know, I see someone with a paint truck or uh, air conditioning truck, I go over and share my cards because you just never know who might know somebody who might need cleaning. That's Cherry Rudolph of Legally Clean in Lauder Hill, one of the businesswomen we check in with most weeks this year during the pandemic economic recovery. Joe Johnson is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.